Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Chapter 19 is pretty much self-explanatory. If you look at it in terms of it's basically a cleanup chapter, especially based upon what's been happening in chapter 16, 17, and 18. I would like to make a few comments, though, about some of the verses, so as you go through it, you'll have a little, little extra information to, to help you study it. I want to give you at least four examples, maybe five examples, and, and try to make a point to you. I want you to look very closely at these verses that I'm about to tell you, the, uh, like those verses. At the, bo- at the bo- bottom of, of these two verses, verses 2 and 3, I'm going to give you a list of verses found elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Notice those verses, and at the end, I want you to tell me what these verses have in common with each other. Chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, For the true and righteous, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great harlot, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged and has avenged the blood of his servants on her hand, at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. The first several verses of this book, of this chapter, chapter 19, is a repeat of things that you've already heard in the book of Revelation. The idea of the great harlot being, being judged, the villain being judged, you're going to see that in chapter 11, verse 18, 14, verse 7, chapter 15, verse 4, 16, verse 5, 16, verse 7, 17, verse 1, 18, verse 8, 18, verse 10, 19, verse 2, and 19, verse 11. This will make the tenth time at least we have seen where, where God is judging somebody in the book of Revelation, namely the villain. Okay? Avenge the blood of his servants. We've seen that at least two other times. This will make the third time. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, chapters 18, verse 20, and chapter 19, verse 2. At her hand. Obviously, the villain is guilty of the blood of the saints and of the prophets. We see this also mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, chapter 16, verse 6, chapter 16, verse 16, chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 18, verse 24, chapter 19, verse 2. Okay? And her smoke rose for up forever and ever. This is her punishment. The smoke of evil's torment ascending up before God forever and ever is also mentioned, chapter 14, verse 11, chapter 18, verse 9, chapter 18, verse 18, chapter 19, verse 3. Skip down to chapter 19, verse 11. We have the word righteousness. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat up on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. God in his judgments are righteous. 
This is the fourth time we've seen this in the book of Revelation. We find it in chapter 16, verse 5, chapter 16, verse 7, chapter 19, verse 2, and chapter 19, verse 11. So there you have five topics. One is mentioned ten times, one is mentioned six times, one is mentioned at least four times, two are mentioned at least four times, and one is mentioned at least three times. Now, look at that for a moment. Look at those verses in their chapters. What do they all have in common? I'll let you think about it. Don't overthink it. It's nothing, it's nothing scientific, nothing technical. Just what do you notice about those verses? Let me, hmm? Yeah. Okay. You're thinking too much. <laughs> okay. Let's back up. What, what, what do these, what do, what do the chapter numbers have in common with each other? Yeah. You, what you said is absolutely right. But I am, I'm looking a little bit more general than that. But yeah, what you said is absolutely right. What do these chapter numbers have in common? Chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, 18, and 19. What do those chapters, what do those numbers have in common? And every time I teach Revelation, I'm going to say this a hundred times. Probably You're probably tired of hearing it, but I'm still going to say it again. Those chapters are located within what I affectionately refer to as the forbidden zone. That's what's happening in Revelation, and that's where you're going to find out what's happening in Revelation. How can you develop a theory about what Revelation is about when you ignore chapter 16, when you ignore chapter 6 through 20. I see that over and over and over again in the past umpteen years. How do you know what Revelation is if you don't get into the, the forbidden zone? Usually it's because we take someone else's word for it. That, that seems to be the, the, the most common way we quote unquote know what Revelation is. This is what Revelation is about. And you're not going to read about it if you don't jump into chapter 6 through 20. I know I harp on that a lot, but the, the churches of Christ are the absolute worst when it comes to those chapters. We just ignore them. I don't know why. We don't, we don't have anything to do with them. Now, we'll pick out a verse every now and then inside this zone, but... As far as actually studying it, we really don't. We really don't. Most commonly in the church, you will see people take verses from maybe chapter 1, one or two verses from chapter 1, maybe a verse from chapter 5, and come up with some great dissertation about what Revelation is and what it's doing with these symbols and on and on and on. But it's like I told you the other day, I've, I have met two people in my life who have actually proven what tr the tribulation actually is and used chapter 6 through 20 to prove it. If you don't get into the forbidden zone, you're never going to understand Revelation because that's where everything is happening. That's where everything is explained. That's where all of these events are occurring. 
Any comment on that? If you're mad at me, go ahead and yell at me. <laughs> Do you agree? I mean, that's, that, that's where the action is taking place. If we don't go to those chapters, we're never going to know it. Hang on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just tripped over my... God exacting judgment on evil? Yes. Um, what you said is, is true. That, that's right. It's God exacting judgment on evil. But we don't even know that's what's going to happen unless we get into these chapters and actually read it, right? But yeah, that's right. That is exactly what Revelation is. It's God judging somebody for something they did. And if you go into these chapters, you're going to learn who it is, why they're being judged, and who the victims of of their sin actually is. But you're going to have to get into 6 through 20 to do that. You cannot do that from chapter 1 alone. You cannot do that from chapter 5 alone. Everybody agree? Yes? No? Maybe? You cannot prove any of this. You can't prove anything about Revelation unless you go into what I call the forbidden zone. Chapter 6 through 20, that's where you're going to learn what Revelation is talking about. That is where you're going to be able to prove to a premillennialist that premillennialism's Definition and explanation and interpretation of Revelation is wrong. You're going to have to prove it from these chapters. Okay, a few comments on, on some of these verses. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. 22 translations use the word bride instead of wife. 26 translations use wife. It means, well, I don't know if it means the same thing. To me, it seems to me like translating it bride is more appropriate. Wife implies that Jesus has returned to earth to collect his saints. Bride means that has not quite happened yet. I think I hear myself. I don't like listening to myself. Yes, sir. Yes. It's actually going to tell us that in a minute. Yeah. Right. And when Jesus returns and collects his saints and goes to heaven, with, takes us to heaven with him, to me, that's when we think more in terms of wife. Yeah, but are we married to him yet? Uh, you can. You, there's a little technicality there. I realize. Yeah, I just it's just a personal preference. I like the word bride there instead of wife. Um, the New Testament though compares marriage to the Lamb of God's relationship to church. Ephesians chapter five. Um, in a roundabout way, the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew chapter 22 is also 
is also a comparison. But I like the word bride better than wife. Wife seems like it's, that's after the second coming of Jesus. But to each his own. The actual word itself can be translated either way. It can actually mean bride or wife. It's, it's just up to the translators, whichever word they want to use. Yeah. I, maybe it's just because I've heard the word bride all my life when it talks about the church. Maybe I'm just more used to hearing that word than I am the word wife. But it, the, the Greek word means the same thing. We have the word clean, the word white. The word clean means bright, shining, magnificent, splendid. The word white means clean, pure, unstained, guiltless, innocent, upright. That is what God considers his bride. The question is, why? Does that look familiar to anybody? Yeah, why are we considered righteous? I was uh, I was sitting over there, and Brother Eads popped up that slide. I'm like, whoa, that looks familiar. So I took a snapshot of it right quick. When he was asked, when he asked us, "What is the impact and consequences of this?" Oh, I wanted to stand up and start a dissertation on chapter 19 because chapter 19 or Revelation itself, because that tells us why. What is the impact and the consequences? How do we acquire this 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 gift, I believe the answer was faith, an obedient faith. This takes us all the way back to our memory verse. It is an obedient faith that causes us to walk in the light as he is in the light. If we were walking in the light, then he imputes righteousness to us. If you want an interesting study, Go to your favorite search engine and type in the words imputed righteousness and start reading through all the verses in the New Testament that talk about that. Very good topic. Just a note on this verse, verse 9 in chapter 19, it says, And he said to me, Right blessed are those which are called to the marriage supper. That word blessed is the same Greek word as used in blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And if you'll remember in that verse, one of the definitions of that Greek word is to be most envied. Yeah, you're happy, yeah, you're blessed, but you're also to be most envied of all people if you are called to that marriage supper. Once again, the relationship between Jesus and his church is compared to a marriage. Now here's one that I'm going to let you teach teach this verse. This happens twice, at least twice in the book of Revelation. I don't think it happens three times. I believe it's twice. It happens again in, in chapter 21, I believe. Chapter 21, verse 6, verse 8. Revelation 19.9 says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See that thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren and have the test that has the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of, of prophecy. Who is it that he's bowing down in front of here? The angel. 
What are some what are some side implications side implications of this verse? If we are not supposed to worship angels, take that to its logical conclusion and tell me what logical conclusion you draw from that verse. Agree. Yeah. Can you name me someone specific we are not supposed to honor or worship? That is a being in heaven. Angels, okay. Who else? Pre-angel. When I think of angels, I think of angels that have been with God through, since for all eternity. Before you're an angel, who's in that category? How about saints in the denominational meaning of the word? That's about as close to an angel you can get without, without being an angel. You have denominations honoring saints, quote-unquote, in their definition of that word. It looks to me like this verse says you don't even honor them. If you will look in the front of your Bibles at, at the opening page of, of the book of Revelation, you will sometimes see that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to whom? Saint John. Yeah. Denominations have a problem with that. They, they, like to, they like to saint people. They like to honor angels, including as well as God. And I was reading some articles online this past week, and apparently some denominations actually will pray to these saints to get their help. Mary is an example. They, they claim they don't really pray to her, they, 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 they ask her for a little inside help. This verse says, don't do it. That, that's the conclusion that I draw from it. John does this again in chapter 21, and he's told the same thing, don't do it. Can you comment on that? I don't know. It may be. Yeah. It could have well been coming from Catholicism. Yeah, I don't know who sainted first. I don't know. There is a restaurant in Fayetteville called Mar- uh, Marvin's. Have you all heard of that restaurant? If you, As you walk in the front door, look immediately to your right. Now, all along the walls, they have, they have people advertising their businesses, and I guess they make money from advertising on the wall. They build a little shed or a little, little store or something, and on the side side of one of the roofs, they'll put the name of the company and their phone number and whatnot. If you will look, as you walk in the door, 
directly to your right in the corner, in that front right corner, you will see, I don't remember if it's an Episcopal church, Episcopal or Methodist, but it was the St. Mary Magdalene Church. I didn't know Mary Magdalene was sainted. That's I've never heard that or never seen that before. But next time you want to go to go out to eat, go there and check out check out that. It's in the very front corner of, of the of the restaurant. St. Mary Magdalene something church. Denominations honor at least honor angels, pre-angels, saints, people that they saint. Maybe even worship them. This verse says don't do that. Don't do that at all. Okay. Just one real fast note about that, about this verse. Verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name was called the Word of God. That the word, word, is the same Greek word that you find in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Same word. Same, same meaning. To prove that the Bible is the best commentary on the book of Revelation. You're going to know what this verse means just because you're familiar with the New Testament. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that it might, that he should, with it he should smite the nations. What is that sharp, sharp sword coming out of his mouth? Yes. Simple, huh? Let the Bible tell you what it means. Now this, these are an interesting pair of, of verses. Verses 20 and 21, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. That's way back from, from earlier chapters. These both were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Is this a spiritual war, or is this a physical war? It's a spiritual one, with the word of God. This is the first time in Revelation we see something called the lake of fire. We're going to find out in a later chapter that is hell itself. Okay? It's not torment, it is hell itself. Um, about three weeks ago, Brother Colley preached a sermon. Surprisingly enough, it was from the rich man and Lazarus, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. He had four points in that sermon. These are them. Point number one, God meant what he says. Number two, right after death, I am still conscious. Number three, I will recognize others. And number four, I can remember life on earth. The story of the rich man and Lazarus backs up each one of those four. Did you know the book of Revelation backs up three of them? You can find that God means what he says. I am conscious and I can remember life on earth. You can find that in Revelation as well. There's no real clear 
example of me recognizing other people. Now, we know that the angels in heaven recognized those who were murdered in the tribulation. But as far as one person recognizing another, we're not told, we're not told anything about that in Revelation. But these other three, they are there. God meant what he says. Well, God's, God's judgment all through the book of Revelation shows that. I am conscious. The saints, when they were murdered, when they were beheaded, and they are now beneath the altar of God, what are they saying? They're saying, avenge our blood. They're conscious. They know where they are. They know who they're talking to. And they remember their life on earth. They remember how they died. Now, uh, Brother Glenn made an interesting point. He said that we don't, that apparently the souls in heaven or souls in paradise do not know what's taking place on earth. How would these saints know that God had not yet avenged their blood? Think about that for a second. If you were so beneath the altar of God and you were asking God to avenge your, avenge your blood, you're asking Him over and over, how do you know that God had not yet avenged your blood? The only answer I can think of is when other saints were murdered and they came into paradise, they told the rest of them, yep, it's still going on. That's just a guess. That's just, it's not even an opinion, it's just a guess. Yeah, something tells me, though, I have a feeling these, these saints were wanting something a little sooner than that, probably. But yeah, what you said is correct. Yeah, what you said. The final judgment had not come, so the ultimate avenging of their blood had not taken place. Something tells me they were wanting something a little sooner than that. Whether they get it sooner than that, we don't know. But yeah, you're right. The best commentator on Revelation is the Bible itself. Without, without your knowledge of the New Testament, you, you wouldn't have recognized the meaning of hardly any of these verses in chapter 19. Chapter 19 is pretty, pretty straightforward. It just seems to me like it should come after chapter 20. I don't know. It's, it's hard to talk about chapter 19 when, when you haven't talked about chapter 20 yet. I think it said that there was something written across his. Sorry. Yeah, across. Uh, I wanted to go back to this picture. Yeah. I don't know. I would like to know, yeah, I would like to know what that is too, yeah, I agree. Uh, we're not told. Yeah, we're not told what that name is, we're not told what it means. This isn't the first time that's happened in Revelation, remember? When has this happened before? That something was said and we're not told 
what was said. You remember? In chapter 10, around verse 2 or 3, this is just off the top of my head right here, um, when the thunders spoke, and John was about to go write what the thunder said, the, the angel said, no, 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 don't write it. That was another example that uh, indicates that John was indeed uh, inspired because he was writing at the same time he was what he was seeing the vision. Because as soon as he heard, he was in the vision, he heard those 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 thunders speak, he started to write it, and the angel told him, Don't do that, because it's not lawful for a man to know. So there's there's two examples, and, and there's examples all through Revelation of things that we're just not going to know. But yeah, whatever those words are, it was not meant for us to know them. I don't know why, but yeah, you're right. Right, yeah, the time was not right for us to know. Yeah. And what does that mean? I have no idea. Yeah, but why does he not want us to know what the thunder said? Why does he not want us to know what was written across his thigh, uh, across his belt there, whatever? Don't know. We're not told why. We we don't know. Don't know. Any other comments? Okay, do you think I can call out a chapter? This is kind of like kids see. You think I can call out a chapter? And you tell me what's in that chapter. You got all this memorized now? Hey, the slides are available out there if y'all want to download them. If you don't have PowerPoint on your machine, on your computer, you can download a zip file that is just an image of each slide. We have about four minutes. Let's, uh, let's go through a review. Well, I guess that takes care of that, huh? Maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. We'll see how far we get. Chapter 1. What happens in chapter 1? We find out there are seven churches in Asia who are going to receive a letter pretty soon. The writer is assumed to be the Apostle John. We are introduced for the first time to something called a tribulation. And you're not going to know what the tribulation is until you start looking at the characteristics that are found between chapter 6 and chapter 20. And once you start looking at those characteristics and start comparing them with everything that was taking place in history at that time, then you will eventually figure out what the tribulation is. The Bible, including Revelation, was not written in a vacuum. It was written in history. One of the most interesting Bible classes I've ever, I've ever sat in was years ago. Um, it was on the book of 1 Corinthians. And instead of just teaching the verses, the teacher went back in history and told the history of what was taking place. And I'm talking, I'm talking a 20 minute dissertation on history on just one verse. And that was, that was so interesting. It made the verses pop out at you because you now you know why these verses were being written. But you want to know what the tribulation is? Take the characteristics, compare them to history of the last half of the first century, and you're going to see what the, what the tribulation is. We have some initial descriptions of Jesus. 
In chapter 4, we have a glimpse into heaven. We see God on his throne, and we see several identities of God. In fact, chapters 4 and 5 are the introduction to the two main characters, God and his lamb. His lamb is described in chapter 5. We have descriptions of Jesus. We find out that only Jesus is worthy to open the sealed scroll. And if you will go back in history, in Roman history, you're going to discover what a scroll with seven seals actually means. In, in a historical standpoint. Uh, chapter 6, you have the four horsemen. You have more details of the tribulation. This is the first time that the saints are crying out to God to have their blood avenged. We see that God's wrath is at hand, so much so that the kings of the earth are hiding in the rocks of the mountains and then asking the mountains to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of God. And you're going to see that this is Chapter 6 is a very good outline. It's a good, very good table of contents for the book of Revelation. Chapter 7, um, that gets into 144,000. Chapter 8, we see the altar for the first time. We see God's power. We see God's punishment. Chapter 9, we see that the we see for the first time that God is punishing the villain of Revelation to try to bring about repentance. He talked about repentance over and over again in chapters 2 and 3 with the seven churches. But this is the first time, I believe, in Revelation that he's actually sending punishments, whatever those are, to the villain of Revelation trying to get them to repent. And he lists five sins that he's trying to get them to repent of. Uh, chapter 10 we see God saying, or an angel saying, for God, God has had enough. Time has run out. And I might mention, as you go through these verses, these chapters, and see what major topics are occurring in each one of them, remember, God is basically laying out a court case against the villain of Revelation. And from this case that he's laying out, he's saying, I gave them this chance to change. I gave them this chance to repent. I gave them this chance to worship me instead of whatever else. He's given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. If he does that for people who have no interest in him, just think how much more he would do that for us who are trying to walk in the light. Chapters 11, 12, and 13 are a history lesson. And we're not going to get through the review. Um, If you get a chance to, just skim through the chapters, pick up the main topics that are occurring in that chapter, and um, see if you can memorize it. Good homework assignment. Thank you, that is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.